Welcome to the Tim Fowler Show, where production is paramount and we discuss the tools, time, and people associated with getting jobs done and making a profit. On today's episode of the Tim Fowler Show, we will be talking about the experience of an arbitrator with the help of special guest Dennis Dixon of Dixon Ventures in Flagstaff, Arizona. Alongside Tim Fowler, I'm your co-host Steve Wheeler. Here is the Tim Fowler Show. Hey, out there. Welcome to the Tim Fowler Show. Remember, keep your ideas coming for what we can do the podcast on. Uh, we have to do them every week, and so the ideas need to be there. So I appreciate everybody that's contributed so far, and uh, we really, really hope this is helpful for you in some way uh, with your work. So on one uh, episode, uh, we discussed job logs with Jason Stearns of the Jeff King and Company in San Francisco, and for reasons why people do job logs. But one of the points that he made was the legal aspects of a blog. So thankfully for me, I've never had to face any legal action uh, in construction. Uh, at least part of that is because I've been lucky. Uh, I'm not going to attribute it to my amazing skills or anything like that, but lucky, but partly also because I have never really been the principal of a company for a very long time. So, and, and when I was, it was on a very small scale. So most contractors have arbitration clauses in their contract, which allows the case to go to an arbitrator and not a judge. Feels to me like that's a better deal, but we're going to find out a little bit more about that uh, as we move forward here today. Our guest today has a lot of credits to his name. Uh, he's been a friend of mine uh, for a while from the speaking tours. Uh, it's been a great uh, pleasure to know him for uh, as long as I have. So one of his credits is he's been a very effective presenter on a number of different topics, estimating being one of them, uh, this topic that we'll be talking about, as well as change orders. A lot of the things that I've uh, been thinking about with change orders originated with some of his thinking and our conversations about that. I think also to his credit, he's built some amazing projects uh, in Flagstaff, Arizona. I've actually visited with him in his home. Absolutely amazing place. But one of my favorite things about our guest is he is just an incredible storyteller. And he can hold your attention and he can tell you a story and you love every minute of it. So we're going to have to keep him on a short leash today to keep him from taking up all our time just telling, telling stories. But anyway, so... Uh, we're going to talk legal a little bit. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, what we need to do to try to keep ourselves out of trouble. Steve? Tim, before we get started, I wanted to just take a break for a quick message. We have an event coming up in March that I wanted to let our listeners know about. It's the Extreme Business Makeover. It's two days interactive presentations, hands-on work that helps you prepare your business for 2020 and beyond. You'll walk away with action items, spreadsheets, books, tools, everything you need 
to get the information, go back to your office and crush it. It's the, the best part of it, though, is the interaction and networking with the other remodelers and custom builders facing struggles, successes just like you. So we just added Bruce Case as a featured speaker. He's the president of Case Remodeling in the D.C. area. He'll be sharing his insights into what it takes to run a highly successful and profitable company. You won't want to miss it. It's being held March 30th, 31st at the BWI Weston in Baltimore. Uh, for the listeners of the show, you can enter promo code VIP to receive $400 off the registration fee. It's said to be a truly amazing event and, again, sure to set you on the right direction for 2020 and beyond. For more information, go to ExtremeMakeoverEvent.com. Again, that's www.ExtremeMakeoverEvent.com. If you have any other additional questions, you can reach me at steve at remodelersadvantage.com. So let's get back to the show. I'm excited to welcome Dennis Dixon. He's a 35-year veteran, author, builder, consultant. He's used his experience as an expert witness and investigator to help business owners understand the link between the legal system and the health of their business. His book, Finding Hidden Profits, contains proven management, policy, and contract content solutions to keep any construction or design pro on the profit stream. Welcome to the show, Dennis. Glad to be here. Hey, Dennis. It's so cool to have you on. Like I said in the intro, we've been friends for a long time and had a lot of conversations about a a bunch of different stuff. So just for the listener's sake, uh, give us a little background about your business. What's your experience? Uh, what have you done, both building and on the legal side? The building side, uh, I've been contracting, remodeling, and custom home building and commercial projects since 1984. Um, it, it's been a great world and, and a lot of fun. And I started speaking many, many years ago due to my response to giving back to the industry of me attending educational seminars because I learned so much to help run my business. And it's been a great thing. And the other beauty about going to trade shows and seminars is I get to meet fellow professionals that, that really have become endeared to me, such as yourself. I learn a lot from other people. Yes. So what about the legal side? What's your experience on the legal side? The legal side, I am not a, quote, licensed arbitrary uh, arbitrator. Uh, I'm not a, a legal assistant or anything like that. I'm just a general contractor that, you know, 25 years ago, attorneys would call me in to write a report, whether it was on the plaintiff or the defendant's side, and render an opinion. Okay. And so- it, it gained me a reputation of being a straight shooter and understanding the codes. And the beauty of this is I would always be independent so that even if the plaintiff or the defendant was the one that, quote, hired me, unquote, that they could share the information or share my report with the other side and feel that it was unbiased. And sometimes it would result in, most of the time, it would result in a quick solution to the case or the dispute or the misunderstanding. What are the kinds of things that you would get involved in? What, are, what were some of the 
the or is there a way to say that most of them were like this or like that or were they so varied that there really wasn't a trend there was a lot of of varied circumstances and projects but on the very top here i'd just like to say that they would involve contractors engineers architects homeowners and even just property owners and but as if I had to to rope these things in and summarize. I'll bet fifty to sixty, maybe even seventy five percent, centered around misgivings, misunderstandings on change orders and allowances, or building something that wasn't to spec that generated a change order, or. <laughs> Uh, somebody misunderstood the plan and thought there was a change order involved and there wasn't, or there is, or the too much anyway. So let's, let's explore that just a little bit, Dennis. So on the change order side of it, what tended to be the, the problem that you were brought in to look at? Most of the time, Tim, it's poor. It's a number of things and I'll tick these off. The first one is poor documentation. Uh, the second one is poor communication. And the third one is just being in such a hurry that they generate the first two items, the poor communication <laughs> and the poor writing down of facts, figures. If you're going to do a change order, it needs signatures from both responsible parties. And I might add, just to make things simple in your contract, is you have a designated contact person and it can be the homeowner, it can be the architect, but it's not seven different people. It's one or maybe two. So that covers your bases pretty quick. Right. So when the decorator comes in and tells the builder, oh, we want uh, two different shades of paint, one on the ceiling and one on the wall. Well, I talk to the owners and everything is uniform colored. That's how it's specified. Oh, well, I just talked to them this morning and they want to change it. So, Dennis, you go ahead and change that. Well, there's going to be a change order. Oh, okay, well, just take my verbal approval. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, I, I can't. You you have to have Sally coming. She's the owner representative. You have to have Sally call me. And the other thing, don't waste your time jumping through all these hoops. You might call Sally, and she's like, the decorator wants me to change colors. I am not <laughs> changing colors. Yeah, yeah. So what about the allowances? Where do the where does the I mean it seems pretty straightforward, right? And allowances for this and and they spent more so they get charged more. Where does the dispute come with the allowances? Well, it sometimes allowances are are borderline silly and the arbitration system and the judicial legal system both look at allowances similarly from the standpoint of what's a fair and reasonable amount. And let's just say you had a 3,500 square foot home that maybe you're doing a whole house remodel. And for the floor coverings, you, you have one allowance that is $25,000. Okay. And everything sounds great. And the homeowner signs it. And then, but they have no direction and the builder is busy and just says, hey, go to go to A, go to B, go to C, pick your vinyl here, pick your, pick your wood flooring and stone flooring here, and go to your carpet at Joe's Carpet. I really know this man well. I trust him, et cetera, et cetera. 
and they go pick their products and then you price them out and they're almost double the allowance. Right. And the homeowner's upset. So, and this is a miscommunication and they jump to all sorts of conclusions and probably rightly so. And the way that I resolved this with my company way back when is I did calculated allowances where I would talk to the owner and I'd say, hey, we've got to come up with a flooring allowance and we've done a measurement and Sally and Bill, you've told me that you want carpet here, 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 and here. And I've calculated the area of that, added a 5% waste factor and therefore at $25 a yard for carpeting, your allowance is is 7,200 for this portion of the floor coverings. Or you just make one allowance for carpet and then you make another one for vinyl and then you make another one for stone flooring and another one for wood. Or you combine them all, but they're, you actually have measurements and a documented cost per square foot or cost per square far, yard and it just gets a little more complicated because everybody asks, hey, Dennis, is that your price or my price? And is it a <laughs> discounted price? It's your price. I don't, I don't mark up allowances. And people say, well, Dennis, you got to mark up allowances to stay in business. Well, no, because this $25,000 group allowance, I have given a a fixed price contract on this remodel or an estimate on a cost plus remodel. And I've already put margin and markup on the 25,000. Right. And I will have additional markup and profit on anything that exceeds that. So yep. I'm going to be quiet unless you let you. Oh, that, that, no, this is really good because I think this is one of the, these are two of the big areas, you know, change orders and allowances where you do get, Lots and lots of uh, miscommunication about. So that's great. That's really, really uh, fantastic uh, information there. So as an expert witness, what are you, when you're called into a case, what are you for? What is it that you uh, try to, uh, there's probably lots of ways you could go. And of course, I know it depends on what the case is, but what, what is it you're trying to get a hold of when you look at things from an expert witness side? If, you know, there, there's, there's two things to understand. In commercial construction, most of the emotions are out of the factoring. Right. They're out of the formula. They're out of the equation. But we're not going to concentrate on that. We're going to jump over into residential and homeowners and even their remodeling contractors and architects and designers can become super emotionally involved, right. which makes people have emotions. They, they're happy. They're angry. They're not satisfied. They feel uh, mistreated or misled. And the, the simple truth that I've been saying for numerous years in seminars is you need to look at this project and your paperwork and your management style like you're doing this remodel for your grandmother and that <laughs> she's a little bit elderly and that you really need to spoon feed her so that your paperwork documents everything they're going to get and more importantly, some of the things they're not going to get. And that goes back to specs. Well, right. given, 
given this, and let's let's loop it around in a 360-degree fact circle here, doing a job with lousy plans and lousy specs and poor definitions on what people are getting and, quote, not getting, that's what I looked at first. Okay. I look at the plans and the specifications, and that's where so many of them, I'd say 99% of these issues are sourced back to plans and specifications. So how do you, as a, as a professional in this business, how, how this may be a little bit of a tricky question, but how can you be fair about it? You, you understand plans really, really well. The client doesn't. Um, so even if it's not a good set of plans, it seems like you might not judge them as harshly because you know plans and specifications. Any, any thoughts on that? You know what, Tim, you just took the words right out of my mouth and all remodelers and contractors have the same feeling that you just expressed, including myself. <laughs> and the way to avoid this is that you have a handwritten, hand-typed, or excuse me, typed up set of specifications that's alphabetical, starting with appliances, uh, building permit, cabinetry, countertops, drywall, electrical, rough-in, electrical fixtures, on down the line. And, and once you generate this, I mean, for a $300,000 project, don't be afraid to invest five or six hours in administrative time before, so you have a thorough contract. So you can fill the voids in the plans and quote specs from the architect and you have a set of specs attached to your contract. The other thing is, is you made the point that homeowners don't necessarily understand the plans and you know, that that's kind of a ticklish subject. It's like you and I go into the doctor and the doctor starts dictating and you and I, you know, connect the element to the metamorphosis that it has. Right. And you are like, Hey doc, my, my elbow just hurts. Am I going to take Advil or a prescription? Right. And customers will understand the written word a lot better than looking at the plans. And here's a simple, simple thing example to give. Here's a small story. If people, I always ask my clients, because I've been through this so many times with my experience, in the kitchen is the layout proper and who does the dishes? And if they have a dual base sink, do you want the disposal in the right basin or the left basin? And you scrape and then wash and then load into the dishwasher. And if it's on the right side or the left side, and it's really simple. Yeah. But maybe nobody's thought of it. But at the end of the job, they're going to look at the builder like no, nobody ever looked at me because the builder's in the caboose. He's not up in the engine with the architect and the owner. Right. And you could save all sorts of hassles just by asking little use questions like that. Uh, good, good. Okay, so in your experience, uh, if you do run into a problem uh, with a client, uh, what would be, I guess I'm going to ask this this way, what would be the first step? And then going from the, let's just assume that the first step doesn't work. In other words, you don't get resolution. Is it better just to let it go to the legal system or is it better to let it go to the arbitrator? 
Wow. That, that depends on a lot of details and facts and figures and timeline. Yeah. But I, I would ultimately say, don't ignore it. <laughs> I would write a formal letter. I might have an attorney write a formal letter. Or maybe the first step is that you write a letter, not an email, but a real letter that's sent registered postage that, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, we have a misunderstanding about X. Uh, I'm you know, my proposed resolution is ABC, you know, bullet point the resolution and please contact me so we can keep your project moving. I sincerely regret any misguidance or miscommunication. Sincerely, Dennis Dixon, I, I wrote this down to document uh, that we really are listening to your complaint, to your uh, not complaint issue. What, issue yeah uh, and we're very sincere we'd like to move forward and you know name it's it sounds silly but you know even when a homeowner might start wagging their finger at you and calling you names and saying geez that guy tim those two fellows that work for you tim and dennis boy i don't even want them on my job again blah 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 blah, blah, blah. is you don't get emotional you just yeah. ignore the comment and say, I understand your complaint. Thank you. And, and But let's get back to, we got a problem with the cabinetry. And you say that the dishwasher was installed on the wrong side of the sink. But let's get out the plans and take a look. I don't care what the plans say. I'm right-handed. I want the dishwasher on the right-hand side. <laughs> okay, well, let's take a peek at that. And then once you have facts and figures in front of you, you can make a decision. But let's just say the plans show the dishwasher on the left side of the sink. I might tell myself, hey, the owner's very emotional about this. It's going to cost me two or three hundred bucks to move the dishwasher, the plumber's on board, the electrician, you know, and I've explained that everybody's touchy about this. So let's just move forward. I'm still going to write up a change order and they're going to sign it. And I might put zero dollars courtesy of contractor due to a misunderstanding. I'm not, well, Dennis, are you kidding me? You've already West, you said it's going to cost 300 bucks. Just tell the owner that it's free. You're doing it as a courtesy and by gosh, move forward. I am moving forward and it's documented. And as soon as an arbitrator or a judge at a later day sees that you've done something like this, they're going to look at the homeowner saying, oh, well, you know, back in November, this builder did you three little favors and there were several miscommunications and they sure tried to resolve them in a professional manner. Yeah. And, so and so built things in your favor. So that that zero change order may become a, a good, I don't know, kind of bargaining chip down the road for basically you're on good behavior. Yes. And, and I'm not advocating that you should give things away or work for right. nothing. Yeah, I know. I, I'm just saying that the amount of money it costs to go to arbitration and get into the legal system, number one, it's just expensive. Who knows what your insurance company is going to take? It is going to draw you away from your main source of living for five hours, 10 hours, 20 hours a week for the next six months. Wow. Yeah. It could. And and it, it will drive you crazy. You won't sleep at night. 
it's really frustrating. And, and most people say when it's all done and said, you know, if I'd only known, I just would have cut the contract by $3,000 and would have walked away and, and <laughs> kissed everybody on the cheek and it would have been over. Yeah. So Dennis, how do you uh, introduce this? What's a verbiage or an example you could use at the beginning of the project with the client, um, you know, with the thought that you don't want to scare them off or point to uh, what could be a negative part of the project? How do you introduce the um, contract in the verbiage of arbitration? I have uh, both in my contract that I've used for years, I have an arbitration example wording or a uh, legal system. You get your lawyer and I'll get my lawyer system that I can just hit my word uh, document and, and download one or the other. But I don't go into a whole lot about that. I essentially start with a face-to-face -face meeting with the client and talk about, hey, the, the, from my historical experience, the main areas of potential miscommunication and disputes between owners and builders are allowances, change orders, and payments, and uh, you know how often we're going to be on the site, what's our supervision. So let's walk through those. And each one of those points that I'm going to make in the change order area, in the allowance area, they're documented in the contract. And I use the same ones over and over and over. And people look at this. What, what tells me that it's a good system is that people that had built and remodeled two and three and five times before would say, gosh, I, I wish we had this in project number three. Do you remember that, Mary? Oh, yeah. We had <laughs> contractor was such a nice young man but we had a terrible contract and we weren't smart enough to change it and that doesn't mean i'm some genius it's just anytime i had an issue i'd spend some time with my attorney that how are we going to keep this train on the track in the future what wording do we put in the contract and, and it worked yeah and for a less experienced client it lets them know the focus they need to have in their when they're making decisions, you know, during that change order process so that, you know, they aren't just picking this or, or not really paying attention to the plans. It shows the importance of that. Now, really quickly, an arbitrator, is that always a lawyer? Is that their role? Or uh, as a member of the Better Business Bureau, I was under the impression I could be totally wrong that as a part of that service, there was arbitrators that could be used. Their arbitrators come from all sorts of backgrounds. Okay. And, and some legal and some not. Okay. And so, I, so Dennis, I, if, if someone's going to go to arbitration, what, what should they be thinking? Of, I mean, what kind of preparation do they have to make? Whether you go to an arbitration or an actual lawsuit, the one with the most paperwork wins. <laughs> that's good to know so and, and I'm, I'm not trying to be funny or coy or sarcastic but you know for someone to uh, another quick example is let's say you have a project and there are 60 different change orders right and there's and the dispute ended up on six of those change orders out of 60 
Right. And you've documented, you've signed, the change orders are loaded with facts and figures and model numbers and colors and details about who said what to whom, you know, just short little summaries. And then it goes to an arbitration or the legal system. You know, an independent evaluation person is going to look back at this and say, you know, something just doesn't smell right here. They worked together for six months. They have 53 change orders that weren't a problem. And now all of a sudden they have seven, something changed. And, you know, and the, the homeowner refused to sign four of these change orders, but the contractor still did the work. I'm and the contractors treated these people fairly, I'm more siding with the contractor on these. And I've seen that happen many times. Wow. Okay. So a lot of the people who listen to this show, Dennis, are actually people who run jobs and are, are out on job sites, not the, I mean, there are a lot of owners too, but so just from that standpoint, what do you think like boots on the ground, person on the job site, what what kind of advice would you give us about helping our company stay out of any kind of legal problem? The other thing is, uh, the, the main point to stay away from the legal system is communication with your homeowners. And I still am a little frustrated with the email situation that you can go back and forth with emails and spend five hours a day with five projects, emailing clients back and forth. So in the order of keeping your boots on the ground and producing product, uh, if there's something that goes wrong, uh, I, I wouldn't try to hide it from the homeowner. I'd be right up front about it that, hey, you know, we had two of the cabinets came in the wrong size and I want you to document it. And, you know, there are 30 different people that work on a remodeling project and we're all human beings and people are going to make mistakes and they're going to build something right or build something left instead of one way or the other. (laughs) And don't, and and this bit about calling up the cabinet maker, oh, I need these cabinets repaired by Friday, but if the owner finds out they're going to be livid, blah, 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 blah. I'd still notify the client, uh, you know, take some... A, a reasonable amount of time, identify the solution, get it nailed down, and then put it down on paper what the problem was what or what the condition was and what the resolution is. And that way they know and they're not going to be surprised or angry or find out from an electrician on the job that, that you're in the other end of the house and the owner walks by and the electrician makes a comment of, or somebody that works for the electrician, right. boy, Dennis was really upset this morning because these cabinets came in wrong. And he said, you were really going to be mad. And I hope you're not going to be mad. Well, all of a sudden the owner is mad. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can see that, that happening. So basically what we're saying is documentation, documentation. And I guess the challenge for, many, many companies is that most of our people out in the field don't want to document. They resist it. They fight it. They uh, just totally disobey, if you will, (laughs) in some cases. But the real key is to document really carefully what's going on and uh, changes uh, particularly. Yes. And 
it, I, I mean, maybe it, it sounds very trite, but you, you've got, I understand, I didn't get into this business to become a paperwork expert, but that's what right. I ended up being. Yeah, yeah. So make some time for your paperwork. So Dennis, this has been fantastic. We, we, we're going to go ahead and, and wrap this up. There are so many things that we could go into, and I hope that our listeners have just been impressed with, um, you know, focusing on the documentation, both from the start of the project, getting it right up front. I, I really appreciate your comments about the change orders and allowances, but also then documentation as the job moves forward. You got it. This was Thank a great conversation. Great. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Dennis. Take care. Thank you. Good luck to everybody out there. All right. <laughs> Take care, man. Okay, Tim. Well, I know that this is an uncomfortable subject. Even talking about it is a little uncomfortable, but I think a part of uh, having a very successful project is knowing what can happen, knowing what certain failures look like. And this preparation is it's truly important. We did our hindsight episode a few weeks ago, and I I might add this to number six on my list of just having a better uh, preparation on situations like this. And not that it would ever happen or did happen, but just the peace of mind around it and that ability to sleep at night and, and not think about this because it is a part of the industry, part of the work we do. Yeah, I really appreciated just the, the couple of very specific things about the change orders. That's a, a hot topic for me right now. And uh, I really appreciate his emphasis on the documentation, the clarity, and then the allowances. Allowances are one of the biggest contention areas between contractors and clients. And it was interesting to hear him talk about um, an arbitrator or an expert witness looking at it and saying, is the amount in the original allowance reasonable for the project? Mm -hmm. There's a little bit of uh, non-objective, I guess, way, look at that, but still reasonable for the project. I thought that was fantastic. Well, good. Well, once again, we really want to thank Dennis Dixon for joining us today. And we always want to thank you, the listener, for listening to another episode of The Tim Fowler Show. And remember, at The Tim Fowler Show, we're working hard to eliminate it is what it is from your vocabulary. This has been another episode of The Tim Fowler Show. Want to hire Tim and fast track your growth? Visit remodelersadvantage.com consulting to learn more. And if you'd like more information about Roundtables, our world-class peer advisory program, please send me an email at steve at remodelersadvantage.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show and comment on iTunes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.